0: When you realize what your future can be, you wanna do it right. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs, plus personalized support from success coaches, so you can get to the future that's right for you. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TOPcast the Teaching Online Podcast. Greetings, Kelvin Thompson. Greetings, Tom Kavanaugh. I won't How are give you? you? The, I won't give you the full, you know, the letter in
1: the middle, and we did that show <laughs> already. You know, I'm well, yeah. thank you, except yeah. that as we were just saying right before we hit record, I'm hoping we don't have any uh, sound effects in, in my office here because the window washer just made the biggest smack on the window right next to me with this Ginormous squeegee! It made me jump out of my skin. So that could be that could be a whole new shtick for the podcast. See see the facial expressions Kelvin
0: makes. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get some more more viewers as opposed to listeners because yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be entertaining to watch you get startled by the window washers.
1: Right. Kelvin's yeah. horror face. New
0: yeah. new new hashtag. <laughs> well, and just to reassure everyone that the the squishy. Wet noises they're hearing have nothing to do with the <laughs> with the coffee that you're that you're drinking, right? So noisily. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So just a reminder for mm-hmm. our friends. I did mention the coffee that mm-hmm. uh, that we like to, you know, build TopCast as a collegial conversation about online and blended learning and digital teaching um, over. Uh, or as we say, conducted over a shared cup of coffee. We try to put mm-hmm. as much alliteration into our description as we possibly can, but mm-hmm. coffee mm-hmm. is sort of our, our shared beverage uh, that lubricates the conversation.
1: Yep, that is, that is all accurate. And that's all accurate.
0: So, what's so, in the thermos today and in my cup?
1: Well, Tom, today's coffee is a single-origin Guatemala technically a Finca San Victor. We've had Guatemalan coffees on the podcast before, but I had missed this little historical tidbit that I'm going to share with you uh, today. Uh, I missed this up until just recently. So turns out, coffee was introduced to Guatemala by Jesuit missionaries in the mid-1700s. So I mean, you see little historical nuggets like that all over the place but not for the reason you might think. The coffee bushes the Jesuits brought to Guatemala were used as decorative shrubs. So, I don't know. I guess somebody had a thing for ornamental uh, shrubbery. I have no idea. So, it wasn't for like another hundred years when Guatemalan export crops like indigo, that was a big uh, export crop for for Guatemala until artificial dyes uh, took hold. When those export crops were in decline, somebody hit upon this idea, well, we got all this coffee tree stuff here, let's do something with the fruit there, and other people actually, you know, make coffee and sell it. Maybe we should do that. So today we know that the growing conditions in Guatemala make for some of the finest coffee in the world, but I suppose we could just know Guatemala as a place with lots of ornamental coffee bushes. In fact, this particular uh, farm, Finca San Victor, actually has volcanoes on either side of it. I kid you not, I looked it up. (laughs) Okay,
0: uh so… How's the coffee, the coffee? And how's the connection? The coffee's excellent. And as I was just about to say, I, I assume there's a connection in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: I don't know. Maybe. This might be one of the weaker ones. I'm not going to prejudge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the coffee's Sometimes not weak, Sometimes I think though. it's
1: weak and you make a, you find a connection. All so. right.
0: So, I do have one, but I don't think right. it's what you were intending and okay. just because of my own knowledge of sort of Jesuit history okay. that, you know, when they would go uh, as missionaries into a, into a new culture, they would um, basically just—that would be their new lives. They would just live there. Like the rest of their lives, they would accompany, as they would say, the, um, the, uh, the, the locals, and um, that was their sort of uh, way to evangelize by just embedding themselves within the community. Mm-hmm. So, as I think about what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. there's a certain aspect of sort of embedding oneself uh, in the environment, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's what you meant, and it may be a bit of a stretched analogy. That might be a better connection than, than, than what I've got, <laughs> so we'll go with that one.
1: Uh, here, here, here are the two things I was thinking of. Uh, however. these strands might be that I'm going to be grasping at. Uh, One, I think uh, that little tidbit from Guatemalan coffee history uh, reflects an opportunity that was seized, an opportunity that was missed at first, and then an opportunity that was seized. And then kind of the contrast between this ornamental, decorative, not fulfilling, you know, kind of a agricultural crop kind of thing, like fake, you might even say, uh, versus a working agricultural cash crop. You know, there's a little dichotomy there between the ornamental coffee shrubs and the the working coffee trees. You know, that have landed in our, the the the, the fruit of which has. Well, the nuts of the fruit of which have landed into our cups today. So that's what I was thinking. I thought there might be a little bit of a connection, but why don't you tell people what we're actually talking about that isn't coffee?
0: Yeah, we've been uh, observing this growing trend of uh, chatbots and artificial intelligence, or as we may refer to it throughout here as AI, um, showing up in um, online learning and uh both in the sort of ancillary support, like help desk services, but also kind of in the core instruction, which mm-hmm. seems to be a really interesting development. So we thought we would kind of pull apart, <laughs> based on our lack of complete expertise, but just mm-hmm. as kind of external observers, some of those some of those threads, um, and and dig into this whole idea of chatbots and AI.
1: Yeah, specifically in our work of online education broadly, right? So, we'll talk about that. So, maybe it's helpful to situate um, the chatbots within the AI field a little bit. You know, I did a little bit of—as little as possible, Tom—a little bit of uh, legwork in advance of the uh, episode. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways of classifying AI, Uh, but the one that I found that um, Seems to show up um, multiple times. Anyway, is a, is a very broad kind of a, a classification. The difference between um, artificial narrow intelligence (ANI) and artificial general intelligence uh, (AGI). Narrow is focused and specialized kind of applications. Um, that is something less than like our you know, our human capabilities, but, like, it's a, it's a focused task. Uh, the AGI, the general, is, like, on par with human capabilities. And then the third category is artificial superintelligence, uh, which is more capable than, than a human. And uh, some people wonder, like, whether that's really a thing or not. But chatbots, arguably, are a, a, a particular
0: type of artificial narrow narrow intelligence specialized. Yeah. Well, thank you. I didn't know that, but that's that's helpful. Um, All I know is sometimes, like, when I'm trying to book an airline ticket or I'm trying to talk to some customer service person or I end up on a Mm chatbot, and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mostly because I find it not helpful, right? You know, it's not until I can get to a human being that um, that I get my problem solved, mm. and you know you end up in these loops <laughs> where um, where it doesn't help you, and I think that just might be a function of the um, of the of the you know the knowledge base that it's operating mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. That maybe it's just it's not deep enough or rich or robust enough to address the issue that I particularly have, but. I don't know. I don't know if I'm that unique. You know, you try to exhaust all the things that you mm-hmm. have at your disposal, whether it's, you know, researching and getting on the web and before you—I mean, sometimes that's your only recourse is go through the mm-hmm. chatbot. So, I mean, that's not what we want for instruction, mm-hmm. right? We want Me, value a added. Non-example. A non-example. A non-example. <laughs> Thank you. But <laughs> right. unfortunately, I think when you mention chatbots, that's the first thing a lot of people think about is like, oh, right. you know, oh, this thing that just keeps trying to— Put me in this in this loop of questions, um, but there's definitely yeah. possibilities, right? Because you know, even in uh, we're recording
1: this in 2022, and the EDUCAUSE 2022 Horizon Report for teaching and learning identified two separate key technology practices associated with artificial intelligence, specifically learning analytics that um, uh, you know has an AI bent and learning tools that have an AI bent, uh, so. You know, I tend to pay attention to things that bubble up from the horizon report, so that's a thing. And, and I think broadly the reason that, um, you know, we all kind of look to the horizon—oh, no pun intended—for uh, uh, AI developments is because there's possibility, as, we, as we've talked about with other kind of technology platforms, there's the possibility of scaling effective practices. Uh, and in the case of AI, uh, scaling in a way that frees up humans for more important and more complex roles. For instance, um, in a recent episode, we talked about uh, enhancements to our traditional online discussions, and uh, one of the things that that a faculty group said that they would find uh, important is feedback in that that context, providing meaningful feedback to students, uh, having support to provide that feedback better. Well, AI-based feedback maybe that helps, right? I mean, we're not looking to replace an instructor, but maybe, maybe there's a support there. So, that's just maybe like one example. So, the, so we're, we're, we're looking for, right, uh, aspirational, uh, successful implementations of chatbot yeah, sure. in, in our variety of uh, contexts in online learning.
0: Yeah, and I and you know, despite my criticism of it, I've been I've been an advocate for it here internally, and have been kind of pushing our team to think about it along those two dimensions that you kind of hinted at before. One is kind of around student services, and the other Mm -hmm. is around direct instruction. And Mm -hmm. and I should say the university um, where we work um, has a chatbot installation that's been mostly focused on um, on financial aid Mm -hmm. because we get you know we have. 70,000 students, um, you know, most of whom are undergrad uh, who are on financial aid of some sort. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of questions, especially kind of around the beginning of the semester. And um, it can overwhelm the staff we have. The, uh, the chatbot has been a, a huge benefit for us in being able to address that scale, especially the scale that spikes at certain times of the year because you can't staff up for just, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever it is and then scale back down. The chatbot allows us to serve that many more students during those peak periods. And, and it's, been, it's been really, really useful. Specifically, kind of the areas that I've been pushing in, we can dig into these, but mm-hmm. like when I say student uh, support, I'm thinking of like the help desk. So we sort of manage the learning management system help desk mm-hmm. for students and faculty who teach online. And having a, a 24-7, always awake, always available chatbot who has absolute you know mastery of the entire knowledge base. Available all the time would would be really beneficial. Likewise, uh, somebody who could take inquiries uh, for our UCF Online Virtual Campus a all day, all night, twenty four seven. If you know, if somebody is in a different time zone, somebody's in Hawaii or Australia or something, and is on the UCF Online website and says, "You know what? This program looks interesting," they can. Have a conversation with the chatbot and get some basic mm-hmm. programmatic information answered. And then on the instructional side, and this is an area where I think there's still work to be done, but a mm-hmm. huge possibility. To your point about scale, having a, a, a teaching assistant who is infinitely available across an infinite number of students 24 7 that can answer the, you know, the vast majority of questions about a particular course or something, um, just think of the benefit of that uh, in, to a student who maybe is doing their coursework at 2 in the morning or something like that and suddenly has a question, and they can get an answer right away from a chatbot that never sleeps.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's all kinds of, of possibilities, right? There's a, there's an opportunity here, and uh, we've talked before, you know, kind of the, the example that has been trotted out for what, uh, six, seven years now is uh, from Georgia Tech, the, you know, the Jill Watson uh, virtual assistant. You've, you've cited that many times, and we'll, we'll throw some up-to-date info. Well, maybe uh, just
0: give a, you know, a, a 30-second overview of what the Jill Watson initiative yeah. has been. Sure. Why don't you do that? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I was inviting you, but I can I, do I, that. I don't do pithy, too. Tom. <laughs> So, um, a, a professor at Georgia Tech, Aishak uh, Goel, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, has leveraged the IBM Watson supercomputer to create a teaching assistant for one of his computer science courses that um, is virtual and is infinitely scalable and expert in the subject matter. And a lot has been written about it, especially at the beginning before he went public with it. and. Uh, he called the teaching assistant Jill Watson, and Jill Watson passed the Turing test. The students in the class did not know Jill Watson was artificial, and they gave her high rate. Rankings as a teaching assistant in their kind of end of course evaluations. Now, now it's public, so you, the Turing test would be hard to <laughs> to implement. Um, but uh, I, I've been personally fascinated by that because I could just see the potential there, and I, there are companies that are working on this this kind of uh, kind of commercializing this kind of an approach. Now we've looked at it. Uh, The reason why the Jill Watson thing works so well is because it was completely optimized, it was Mm -hmm. bespoke for that course, and it's taken a a number of iterations for it to get right. So, it's hard to scale at at that level of rigor and efficacy. But there are things that can be done that could be built into a knowledge base just like a, a student support chatbot could be. Um, or maybe some templatizing where faculty could input a certain amount of information, or even assistants or administrators, that um, that could vary from course to course, so that you know at least it adds some value to um, to students and and you know for the for the deeper harder questions, then it could refer to a, to a human being.
1: Yes, and uh, again, we we'll, in the show notes. You can find out a lot more about the current state of the the Jill Watson uh, ongoing initiative, but I mean, what you you don't have to look at the page too long before you see that over time now the 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 ramp up time for a course has has gone down dramatically. At First, it was like 1,500 hours of that that building and working with and training the AI, and now it's like five hours for uh, create a course uh, for that. But I think there's There's also, you know, much more zoomed-in applications like, Tom, you know, that um, uh, through our Florida Innovation Summit uh, that we host here at UCF every year, we have some colleagues from the University of Florida, our sibling institution in the state, uh, some faculty who uh, shared some early results in a legal psychology course of a a chatbot implementation. we won't get into all the, the weeds of it, but as I understand it, in legal psychology, th- there's a, uh, an assignment where you want the students to be thinking about the all that goes into eyewitness testimony, and so there's like a an assignment where they go through a role playing simulated exercise where you would you would query the defense attorney, ask specific questions, and then uh, you're going to uh, as the student psychologist, you're going to write up um, kind of an analysis and a recommendation and, and so forth. Well, you could imagine like playing that out in a, in a face-to-face classroom and maybe one or two students comes up and the, the faculty member role plays that and everybody else benefits. But with the chatbot implementation, every single student could have that back-and-forth experience, and then based on that experience, they could write up you know their their findings and their recommendations. So we actually had a faculty member here uh, in a related uh, class who asked if she could uh, build her own implementation here at UCF based on their work at UF, and we're supporting that. And and it's it's in the it's in that training and build up and structuring time right now. But it's promising. It's just but it's a it's a very fine grained. It's not like the virtual assistant for the entire class is like one particular learning exercise that the chatbot's going to support.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I saw that presentation from our colleagues at UF and and have spoken to the faculty member here who's doing that. Uh, It's a really interesting application, but I I think it's one of many possibilities. Um, You know, I wonder if it's worth kind of just talking about kind of some best practices that that I've both heard as well Mm -hmm. as… have observed since we've had our own implementation. You know, one of the main things that has been emphasized to us, and I think it it really holds true, is that when you're implementing a chat bot, you know, with the exception of that Jill Watson, which was a specific experiment, mm-hmm. be honest with the mm-hmm. students about mm-hmm. this being a bot. Right? Yep. Don't pretend that it's mm-hmm. human. So, like, for example, our financial aid thing, we have Nightbot, because we have mm-hmm. the Knights at, at UCF, and, and there are an equivalent number of those at all the institutions that have something similar. It's the whatever, the Badger Bot, or whatever their, their mascot is. or that, that I think is really important to sort of play fair with students and be honest with them.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, transparency, the preserving of human agency. I, all of that I would kind of classify as, you know, you, you really want, it, it may be a little counterintuitive, but in, in, from the way I think about it, you want all of your efforts to result in better humanizing the experience, not inadvertently
0: dehumanizing the experience. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, you know, ironically enough, what we have found and also have heard from our, our partner is that students will be amazingly vulnerable mm. in interacting with the chatbot. Like they will mm. say things, the most intimate things mm-hmm. to the chatbot, sort of about mental health challenges or mm-hmm. other kinds of things. And they know it's not a human, mm-hmm. but they'll do it anyway. And so obviously you need to have built in that, you know, certain kinds of words or expressions that Will trigger an intervention or a referral by by a human, who can actually you know uh, address whatever that that concern might be, um, but I I found that to be really an interesting kind of development in this whole chatbot space. Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, right? Is it because it feels more
1: anonymous, even in that you're aware that it's a, a technology, and so you're just sort of like. Thinking out loud to yourself or whatever. I mean, I wonder what it is about that moment that that invites that kind of vulnerability. But regardless, uh, speaking of seizing opportunities, not letting that that kind of disclosure just be poured out in, you know, like water under the ground, right? Do something with it. I mean, to your point, I think is is excellent. You know, maybe without missing this too, we should state that really what we're trying to do here, right, is through these kind of implementations, is is pursue scale and efficiency and affordability of effective practices in education, right? People are always the most expensive part of anything, Um, you know, highly skilled faculty members and instructional designers that are behind the scenes and uh, all of that. So how can we better support effective practices through these kind of technologies so that it frees up the human time and so we can give that concentrated um, I don't know if you want to call it time on task uh, or um, personal um, support uh, through, you know, of, for the learner uh, through that chatbot experience, but the key has got to be that it's got to be a positive experience. It can't be your 11 o'clock midnight uh, looking for an airplane going, hello, how can I help you? Well, here's, here's what I'm struggling with.
0: How could I help you? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what happens unfortunately sometimes. but you know, I think maybe maybe the next uh, evolution of this is um, chatbots who uh, who learn better than maybe they have right now um they they seem to rely a lot on kind of a knowledge base or a pre-populated kind of you know database of of prompts and responses and things that might be similar. but you know, when you have like a supercomputer, like, like, you know, Watson, that can infer and learn and grow, um, that's when things are going to get really interesting. And of course, you want to check to make sure that it's, you know, learning in the way you want it to, but, um, but I I think we're going to get there. And I Mm -hmm. think that these things are going to evolve in some ways on their own, you know, based upon the volume of inputs that come in. I mean, we're doing this now in some ways with our, um, our CRM for, through UCF online, where um, we don't have a chat bot yet, but we are using the live chat to help us populate the knowledge base that we will implement when we do, uh, we do pull the trigger on a chat bot.
1: Because you've got those transcripts that can feed as data. Yeah. Um, maybe two, two, um, of the moment kind of comments, and I don't know if I'd call both of these critical comments or not, but I think it is important always uh, in our implementation of technology to support our work. Uh, I think we need to be uh, critical about what we do. One, <laughs> just last week uh, I saw an article from Scientific American, uh, there was a, there were news articles uh, uh, in uh, early summer 2022, but now just within the last week, there's a Scientific American article about this Google engineer who's gone public with the fact that there's this Google chatbot called Lambda that he believes has achieved Sentience. Uh, So, I mean, it's easy to make jokes about it. I know I did. (laughs) Skynet, (laughs) right? Yeah. I made made my share of jokes about it. But it's interesting, right? Because, you know, there are all kinds of folks who would, like you said, Tom, that Jill Watson passed the Turing test. I mean, I've found folks who will debate that. Like, there's levels, right? And, And all. But like Ray Kurzweil's been saying for gosh, more than 20 years that in our lifetime uh, we will see an AI that that surpasses uh, the Turing test, he believes. I uh, still have uh, his 1999 book. The age of spiritual machines on my on my bookshelf. Um, so one that's interesting. We haven't even quite figured out in higher ed how to even get simple implementations, but we got Google with uh, maybe a sentient chatbot. Don't know. Maybe uh, that's interesting. <laughs> don't know. Um, I for one welcome our benevolent uh, artificial overlords. Um, the other critical comment. Um, I was really struck by a comment in a recent. Um, advisory board call that I participated in. I'm really fortunate because I, I just sit there. I, it's hard to imagine, but I sit there quietly and listen most of the time um, because uh, there's some really incredible people on this board, and then then I'm there. Um, so, Dr. Yuta Traverinus from Ontario College of Art and Design University, who is actually one of the eight 2022 Women in AI award recipients. We were were talking about inclusive design and accessibility and so forth, and she's got this big background in AI work. And she made this passing comment that I I wrote down because I was so struck by it that I think it, it probably deserves a mention in this context. She said that disability can be defined as a, quote, divergence from the average, unquote. And so she said, more automated approaches tend to amplify the average. So, that, that challenges us in terms of our inclusive design implementations, right? Uh, we often—I know I do—pursue sort of a principle of the greatest good for the greatest number, and that's understandable, but we got to guard against systematic exclusion of any human differences as we carry out our work, obviously.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And obviously, we don't have time to kind of dig into that. But, you know, I, I wrote my dissertation many years ago about performance support mm-hmm. technologies. And um, mostly, I was focusing on the way systems can accommodate themselves to both expert and novice users. But you could apply that same thinking to both disabled and non disabled. Users, and you wouldn't want to. You would want the system to, you know, as a, I think it was um, Donald Norman may have said, mm-hmm. like you, the system should adapt itself mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the user. And um, and and I think in many ways, this this AI technology holds the potential for something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, whether that's somebody who needs an accommodation or somebody who just doesn't understand or maybe English is not their first language or whatever it is, the, the system should be smart enough yeah. to adapt itself to the needs that the, that the user yeah. has. That would be a good aspirational goal.
1: You yeah. want to—I know we're about to run out of uh, jet fuel and uh, coffee. <laughs> you want to try to get us on the ground?
0: I will. All right. So, Kelvin, artificial intelligence may play an increasingly important part in various aspects of our lives, as we have discussed. Mm -hmm. So as online education professionals, chatbots have perhaps the most readily available AI role to fulfill in various aspects of our Mm -hmm. field Mm -hmm. if we are prepared to seize the opportunity. Seize the opportunity. I saw it. you Seize yeah. the opportunity. That's
1: good. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I know we're running low on time, but can I slip in a quick little self-promotional plug? Yep. We're the self. It's not just me. Yeah. So, it's a dual, <laughs> duo self-promotional. So, dear TOPcast listeners, from now, when you're listening to this um, episode, up until the end of September 2022. So, if you're listening to this in 2023, sorry, just go ahead and fast forward past this now. But from now until the end of September 2022, if you share a link to TOPcast via social media and then email us a link, To your post, you will be entered in a drawing to win a TopCast listener mug. And you know you've always wanted one, right? They're beautiful. It'll change your life probably. Tom's got one right now. If you're looking on the video screen, you're seeing it. Look at that. I heart listening to TopCast. Isn't that lovely? That's great. So, multiple entries are allowed. The more you enter, the better chance you've got of winning. Please send a separate email message for each social media posting that you're documenting. No more than one social media post every 24 hours, please. And send those entries via email to topcast at ucf.edu, topcast at ucf.edu with the subject line drawing entry. That would be very helpful. The winner will be announced in a future episode after the drawing. Can't wait to see
0: who's going to win the coffee mug. Me too. And I can't wait to see the social media posts. That will be, that will be really cool. So, Kelvin, thank you for the Guatemalan coffee. Thank you for the artificial intelligence discussion. Who knows, someday there may be a TopCast episode where it's just an AI Kelvin talking to an AI Tom, and you and I can just sit back and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Wouldn't that that be something? (laughs) Yes. Until that time though, Kelvin, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.